have a group in Guatemala. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people gone. First, Actually, they all go to first service. Maybe not all of them, but that's what it looked like this morning because second service was full. First service was not so full. And I was thinking, okay, the Guatemala people mostly go to first service. We had a really good uh, morning here at Preston Crest. I think the Spirit was ministering uh, among us, through us, in us, and it makes me happy just to think. And I don't know what other churches around Dallas were doing today, but but I'm certain they were all praying for the city. Maybe some conversations like we had this morning or some different things. Uh, I'm looking forward to kind of hearing about that and looking at what other churches did uh, this week online. But uh, it makes me very happy to know in a time like this that we live in a city where there are dozens and dozens of churches spread around the city who were gathering to get today to speak words of love, words of comfort, words of encouragement, uh, wise words, uh, prayers of intercession for the city. And that makes me very happy because there are a lot of places where, um, you know, positive words and things aren't being said and done. And I was thinking, one thing I was like this morning after the panel, and the panel was so good, um, but one thing I was thinking afterwards, we were talking about what are some simple things that, that you can do, and we talked a lot about listening. But I was thinking, oh, I wish we had done... Uh, you know, maybe thought this through a little bit and had some maybe ground rules for what we post, you know, what we Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that, because I, I would find that helpful. I just think a lot of times we see something and we share it or we forward it on or we copy and paste it or we put a little comment on there. And it's not that, you know, it's not that what we're posting sometimes isn't true or isn't an honest and, and appropriate opinion to have. But maybe it's not appropriate to share, you know. Maybe that's one to keep to yourself or whatever, or something that's more of a zinger than. And I think, and I, I say that as a person who's made the mistake, and uh, in my, especially in my role, I try to really put a heavy filter on what my little fingers type and my little thumbs type on my on my phone. But I think it'd be good for all of us to think twice um, before we post. And is this something that's going to build up? Is this something that's going to be helpful? Is this something that's going to honor Christ, or is this more of a product? provocative kind of little pronouncement or zinger or one-liner or something like that. And, and so that would be, just talking about simple things to do, that would be a really good place to start. And then you get into all this other stuff about engaging the community. And then as, as Adam and, and especially Oliver were talking about listening more, and then Gary shared at Second Service, make sure when you're listening you're hearing, right? Because you can sit there quietly but not really hear. You're like thinking about what you're going to say or whatever, and I thought that was very helpful. But I was thinking about that passage in James, you know, where the Bible says, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Um, and how our culture needs, needs that wisdom. You know, whether you're a Christian or not, that's just uh, really good advice. That's why I'm not very loud. I need to put this on. That's going to help out. Yay. All right. Okay, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians tonight. We don't have... Um, slides. I didn't give Austin any slides, so you, it'd be good to have your Bible, your phone open to Ephesians. We'll do, I think we're, pretty much everything we're going to do is in Ephesians tonight, so I think you'll be good just going there and hanging out, and we will arrive shortly at that destination. Um, we're going to continue with powerful prayers tonight. We actually started this series, I believe, on October the 18th, 2015, and tonight will be the conclusion, and there is uh, this will be the last one, and there's so much more we could do. As I mentioned last week, there are 150 prayers just in the book of Psalms. All right, the book of Psalms is the Hebrew prayer book. 
and there are 150 different prayers in there about all different prayers. So you could just do 100, you could do several years once a week of prayers just from the book of Psalms and then move on to all the other prayers. But, but tonight we're going to kind of land the plane. The good news is, so I got good news for you. We're not going to cover all the prayers. That's the bad news in the Bible. The good news is, if you're part of All In with us, you will read every prayer in the Bible this year because you will read the entire Bible. And so I hope you are up. I think I may be a couple of days behind on my All In. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm up to date. But uh, if you're doing that, you will read every single prayer in the Bible this year. All right. Now, the final prayer that we're going to take on tonight is, is really about the church. It's about the body of Christ, a prayer that the Apostle Paul offered before the throne of God on behalf of this community of believers in the city of Ephesus, um, a growing, vibrant, uh, important, strategic city, much like Dallas today. Um, and he writes to these young Christians there in Ephesus. Before we get there, I think we can honestly acknowledge... Um, just right up front, that for a lot of people, the word church is not a positive word. Now, I would have told you 10 years ago that it was a negative word. A lot of people heard church and they got you know, negative reactions, negative feelings. Now, I would say, and I don't know this, if this is better or worse, but I would say now, for most people, it's a word that just doesn't, there's just no reaction whatsoever. I mean, church has become for more and more people, less relevant, less, they don't even, you know, why would anyone do that? It's not so much negative anymore, although it is for some people, but it's just kind of like, you know, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't trigger any sort of reaction um, for them at all. Um, and I don't, like I said, I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's more, we have more of a blank canvas today to get back to that biblical vision, that that vision that Jesus has of what we need to be. And maybe that's a good thing. We don't have as much, perhaps, baggage as we did 10 or 15 years ago with people. Um, but what it means is there are many that, that no longer have a sort of clear vision of what the church is supposed to be. I mean, what's the purpose? Why do you guys get up and gather together on Sundays? And it reminds me of a story I read about a, a Sunday morning at a, a neighborhood church. The preacher saw... Uh, a little boy named Alex standing in the foyer of the church building, staring up at a huge plaque that was in the wall out in the foyer. And that plaque was just covered with lots of names of people and little American flags by those names, uh, by each one of those names on there. And the six-year-old Alex, he just stood there staring at this plaque for a long time. The preacher finally was like, I wonder what's going on. So he walked up to this little boy and stood beside Alex for a moment and then quietly said, Good morning, Alex. And Alex said, Good morning, preacher. But the kid just kept his eyes right there on the plaque. And, and the preacher said, uh, You know, what's going on here? And the, and the, and the kid still staring at the plaque is like, What is this? What, what does this mean? The pastor said, Well, Alex, it is a, it is a memorial to all the young men and women who died in the service. And somberly, they just kind of stood there together, looking up at that plaque, staring. And, and finally, little Alex's voice, barely audible, trembling with fear, asked, which service, 8 a.m. or 10.45? So, where did those people die? Um, but, but for a lot of people, still, church is kind of a scary thing. I mean, the idea of actually 
going and checking out a church or visiting a church for the first time, I mean, your knees kind of knock a little bit. It's a little bit scary. For others, like I said, it's just boring, I guess. The idea of church is boring. Um, Tom Nelson, who is a minister and a writer, has identified, I think this is kind of helpful, kind of four different distorted images that people have of the church. The first one he calls out is the idea of the church as a filling station. Um, filling station. It's a place where you go when your tank is empty. Uh, you're, you know, you're just running on fumes. The engine's knocking a little bit. And you come in on a Sunday morning. You, you plug in and you fill up. You're full of fuel and you're recharged and you're ready to go tackle another week. A filling station. Other people, when they think about what, what is a church, they think about the church as a, um, as a, as a movie theater, okay? Uh, a movie theater. It's a place where you go to escape, right? You, you escape the quote-unquote real world. Um, you, you can set your problems aside and you can enter in this, in this air-conditioned room, sit on a comfortable chair for an hour or two, depending on how worked up the preacher is, and hopefully when the service is over, you can walk out just feeling a little bit better about things. A little bit better. You, you've kind of been able to set those problems down a bit. You feel better. So the, the idea of church is a movie theater or filling station. Then the next image he presents is the image of, of a church as like a CVS, as like a pharmacy, right? And it's this idea that you go to church to get your, your kind of prescription filled. You've got some pain. You've got some hurt. You need something to deal with that. So essentially, the church is a place where you get some therapy, right? You get some therapy. You walk out with something that, that's going to help you um, not feel quite as, as burdened and quite as hurting anymore. The fourth version, this is so like American, um, is the idea of a church as a, a big box retailer, a Walmart store or a Target store. Um, you know, a place that's clean, that is safe, uh, a place that offers the very best products for you and your family. It's kind of a, a spiritual one-stop shop, um, produces good quality programs, ministries that will help you, that will help your kids. Your kids are going to like it. They're going to want to come back. And so, essentially, if you have that idea of the church as a big-box retailer, you will choose a church that, that kind of fits you the best, where, where you can find what you're after, the best products, if you will, the best uh, value, and one that is, you know, convenience, right, to you and your house and everything. Well, the problem is, and, and you're way ahead of me, I'm sure, the problem is those are not biblical images at all. Um, they are... Warped. They are distorted ideas of what the church is supposed to be. And the main reason that each one of those is distorted is each one of those visions centers around me. Centers around me. It makes church more about me and my needs and my experience and what I get out of it than, than about God, you know, than about Christ. Um, entertain me. Fill my tank. Um, bless my kids, put on good programs that we'll enjoy, take away my pain, uh, fill my prescription, inspire me. Um, that is just really, honestly, that's just good old American 
consumerism is what that is. Obviously, very strong, very widespread. In fact, that to a lot of people, that, yeah, right. I mean, that just sounds right. I mean, it's so ingrained in us. Um, images like these tend to produce a, a set of Christians who are roaming around, you know, looking for the best deal. Um, which one rates the highest for me? Which church? And they also tend to produce dissatisfied Christians. Um, always looking for an upgrade. Always looking for a place that will be an improvement over what they've experienced. Uh, much, however, of what Christ offers in His vision for the church, much of that is gained by staying put and just doing life with a group of imperfect believers. I like what Shane Claiborne wrote about the church. He wrote, um, I once heard a pastor say, I like this, I once heard a pastor say, the church is like Noah's Ark. It stinks. But if you get out of it, you'll drown. (laughs) We are the church, he writes. If she were perfect, we'd mess her up as soon as we joined So may we have some grace even with those Christians and pastors who make us nauseated or put us to sleep. After all, they have given us enough of the story that we have been able to stumble into God and community. So yeah, that's honest, I think. There are flaws with churches. Flaws certainly here at Preston Crest because we are... People. We are a body of believers. We are a group of, of people who struggle, who have weaknesses, who have some sins that we struggle with. Um, but we are on a journey together, and Christ is part of this journey with us. And this biblical image for the church is this community of faith where the redeemed are joined together by Christ and who are set, uh, well, who are launched on his mission out into a a really hurting world. And so it's an important mission that we're on. Broken, the church is broken, but the church is beautiful. So in this letter to the Ephesians, I love this prayer. It is a prayer to the church. It is a prayer about the church in many respects. It's really about Jesus too, but it's a prayer about just, God, just let them see what you're up to. Let, you, let, let the people God see, open their eyes to see your vision for the church. Now, in this book of Ephesians, Paul gives his visions. One of them, uh, chapter 1, verse 23, the church is a body, okay? It's a body. Um, it, we are joined together. Um, we, there are hands and feet, and, 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 and uh, we're, we are the in a sense, the, incar- the second incarnation of Jesus. Okay? Physically taking Jesus out into the world. We're a body. Chapter 2, verse 19, Paul says, we are a household. You know, and that's one of the images. I don't know. We, I grew up hearing brother this, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. I like that. I know some people know it sounds kind of old school, but I kind of like it because really, I mean, it's a biblical thing to do, right? But, but, but it, it, it reminds us that we are not just kind of showing up at the big box store or the movie theater. We're, sh- we're coming home when we come together. We're brothers and sisters. We're the family of God. Um, God is our Father. Um, Jesus is our, our in a, 
really our older brother, you know, um, and we're adopted into this family. And then he says in chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, the church is a building, okay? Now, that may sound kind of static or sterile to you, but the vision he has is, is not that at all. We are a building in, in the sense that we are built on this foundation of teaching, he says in those verses, of the apostles and the prophets, and we are this building where the chief cornerstone is... Jesus, uh, and we are these bricks that are laid together by God. We're joined together. We fit together um, awkwardly sometimes, but we fit together. And God is building something uh, when he puts us together in the church. And this verse, let me just read verses 21 and 22 there in chapter 2. Paul says, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. In him, you too are being built together and are becoming a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's the church where we're being built together and God lives here. God lives among us. So let's get to the prayer tonight. The prayer is is in chapter 1. Verses 18 to 23. So Paul is writing a letter, but in this letter he shares with them his prayer on behalf of those Christians in Ephesus. He says in verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That's Jesus. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now that's a prayer. That is a prayer. God is, at, or Paul rather, is coming before the throne of God and saying, God, help those Christians, help those disciples to understand. Open the eyes of their heart. It's like they possess all this, but they're not seeing it. Help them to see that and to understand what an honor it is to be part of the Lord's church, what a high calling it is to be part of the Lord's church, and what they, the, the riches, um, the resources that they have access to do to as part of God's church. And so in this prayer, Paul is kind of building a, a structure for us, a kind of a skeletal structure uh, supported with like spiritual bones, load-bearing uh, truths that he puts in here. And then he puts flesh over it and he says, look, open your eyes and see the body. Um, Christ is the head, okay? Christ is the head. He's the one who governs this, who has dominion in the body. But this body is the church and you are part of it. You are joined to Christ and you are joined to other 
believers. And so essentially, he's asking God, help us to grasp this very important truth so it will strengthen us and strengthen the church as a whole because the mission is so, so important. So the first thing he talks about or, or that I see there is power. Power, power, power. Those, that prayer is full of power. The working, verse 19, the working of his mighty strength. It is the, his, inco- I love that phrase, his incomparably great power for us who believe incomparably great. Any power that you can imagine doesn't compare to Christ's power at work in his church. And Paul says, I'm praying for you to see that, to understand that, and to be filled up by that. Point is, it's his power at work in the church, not ours. And that is important to think about and to, and to understand and to kind of work from because what makes Preston Crest effective on this mission God's given us, what makes a church in, in Guatemala or Ghana or Brazil or China effective on this mission, anywhere in the world, it, it is not merely the collection of gifts and talents that the church membership has. It's not the, the, the size of the, of the roster of the church uh, membership, thousands or, or dozens or smaller even. It is not the financial resources of the church and how, how much money they put in the collection plates uh, each week. The real power source is Christ. It's Christ. And Paul needs for the church to understand that. He prays that the church will understand that. And it's important for them to see that their power is not from themselves. Uh, and there are a couple of really big reasons for that. Look, if we believe that our power is determined by our collective um, talents and gifts and money, then our dreams will be limited by that. You know, we'll add all of that up, and that's what we are able to accomplish. That's what we're going to budget on. That's what we're going to dream about. That's what we're going to plan to do, you know, what we can do together with with our money, with our talents, and with the staff that we put together. Um, That's what we are going to be able to accomplish. That will be the kind of the, the cap, the ceiling, on the good works that we're able to do. I think you see the problem with that. Um, it's very limiting. It's very limiting. And Paul is praying about this because if we don't see that the power is in Christ, then we're just going to kind of live down here, okay? We're going to kind of do this stuff when we could be doing so much more by the power of Christ. So that's important. The other reason that is important is a little bit more subtle, um, but it's just as important, and that is if God opens our eyes to see that He, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the source of power for the church, then we know that anything good that we do, that we accomplish, any goal that we achieve, any ministry that blesses people, anything good that we do individually or together, um, we will know that it is because of the Lord, right? We, we didn't do that, all right? God did that through us. What an honor. What a humbling thing. God did that through us. Guatemala, you know, they were, they've already been doing things today to bless people, and they're going to be spending the whole week. Eighty-five of our members are there doing that. And, and, and it's God that's doing it 
through them. That's why we pray for them, pray over them during their work because God is going to do a lot of amazing things through them. Otherwise, this is the deal. Otherwise, I might think that it's, it's me doing the good things by my power. And I might start feeling pretty good about myself or, well, thanks for that compliment. Wow, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty special. Um, and what happens is that we think we're doing all this great stuff because of what we have, because of the resources that we have. And what we need to see, Paul prays, what we need to see is that anything good that happens or is accomplished is because God is working through us. Look, you woke up this morning because of God's gift to you, right? Every breath of air that you suck in your lungs is because he has been good enough to put some oxygen. He's been good enough to give you a set of lungs. The fact that you even exist is because God dreamt you up. I mean, we don't have anything apart from God. And that's even before we get to, as believers, Christ dwelling in us together at the church, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Um, so what we need to see is that it's good, anything good that happens is God. And it's God working through us. Um, living through us, his church. And that is a big deal, uh, important to get a handle on, not just because of that first thing, it will limit our vision if we don't understand that God is working through us, that matters, but it's important because it makes us intentional and it makes us vocal about making sure that Christ gets the glory, right? That we're not getting the glory but that Christ is getting the credit for the work he's doing, okay? Um, I don't know, um, if I don't know that the power of Christ is at work in me, is at work in us as the church, collectively, then I can easily end up sort of plagiarizing God, in essence. I can end up taking credit for all sorts of things that really he's doing. Really, it's his resources at work. And I can end up taking credit for what he is up to, uh, essentially. The church of Christ is his, right? The church of Christ. It's, it belongs to him. Uh, he is the, the, not only the founder of the church, but he is the head of the church. He is the power source of the church. And anything that we do that's good or that's praiseworthy or that touches or blesses people, uh, in some sense, is probably in spite of us, right? Um, but very really, Paul says it's because of his incomparably great power at work, his power at work in us. And I think that is why Paul is so keen on just God, open their eyes. Let them see that. Let them see how you're working by your great power through them. Uh, because Ephesians, you need to know, Paul says, uh, where the credit is due. All right. Uh, make sure that Christ is getting the credit for the work Christ is doing, has done, will do. Otherwise, you might end up essentially plagiarizing Christ, taking credit for his work. Hope that makes sense. So next, so that's the power element. And th the second thing is very much tied to that, which is um, this identity question, that we would know, that we would see our identity wrapped up in Christ. And that is important because I think verses 19 through 20, he says a lot of things. It's all about Jesus. <laughs> it is all about Je Jesus. 
is the one seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is the one who has dominion and power. Jesus is the one who ultimately governs all the human governments in this world, governments that aren't of this, any powers, uh, principalities at work anywhere. Jesus is over all of that. His title, Paul says, his title is above any other title. And we, the the identity question is this, we belong to him. We are his body. We are the body of Christ. Um, We're joined to him. So I may be having a bad day. You may have had a really rotten week. Um, You may blow it from time to time. I may make some mistakes. But there is nothing that exists that compares to that reality. That he is Jesus... He is the ruler of all things. I belong to him. I'm with him. All right? I'm with him. Um, I've been bought with a price. I have incredible value. I'm loved because Jesus died for me. Um, And so Paul's just like, hey, guys, I'm praying for you that the Spirit will let you kind of glance that, see that, because it's going to change your perspective and you're not going to be sweating the small stuff near as much when you get that glimpse of, what, of who you belong to, of who you are. Um, finally, the third thing that Paul prays for, um, for these believers is that they will be able to see, I think, I, I put it this way, they can, they can now, because of all of that, because the Holy Spirit has opened their eyes, they can see their full potential. They can see what they are capable of as a body of believers um, and that involves, uh, it's not static. It's not just, whoa, I was saved. Now I come to church on Sundays. I mean, there's a growth. There is a potential. There is an unleashing of God's plan and God's presence and power in my life that enables me to do more and more and to grow more and more. And that's certainly what God expects um, because he knows what we're capable of. He designed us. And Paul really talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4. I mean, in a little more detail. Ephesians 4 verse 16, Paul says, from him the whole body, that's us, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It does what? It grows, he says, and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. So we are joined together as a church, his body. And the idea that Christ has for us is that each one of us is going to be growing, that each one of us is going to be maturing. It's not saying we need to earn our salvation. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about growing up into the people we have been saved to be growing up into all that he has won for us. Um, And so this phase, um, this final phase here is as each part does its work. Yes, the power is his. Yes, the church is his. His body. He is the head of the church. Yes, if anything good happens, it is because Christ is doing it. And oftentimes in spite of us. But no, this does not mean that I don't have to do anything. 
all right? This does not mean that, well, I'll just kind of twiddle my thumbs until the second coming or the Lord takes me home. Uh, there's nothing for me to do because it's all his power after all. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It's not an excuse to sit around and do nothing um, or mark time. Each member of the body of Christ, Paul says, has a role, has a part to play. Um, each one of us, Paul says, we are expected to use our, our time and our talents um, to, to work, to do the work that Christ has called us to so that the church will be built up and strengthened, so that we will be closer together and so that we will have more of an impact in the world. To stay, to stay on the sidelines... Because I think, well, um, I'm just not all that talented. Or yeah, I, I, I'm too young. Or, uh, or to stay on the sideline. By the way, I don't think that anymore. I'm too young. I'm 47. So that one I can't really look in the mirror and, and cling to that excuse anymore. Or to stay on the sidelines because I think, well, look at all those. those that guy or she or that. I mean, those people have a lot more talent than I do. Uh, they know a lot more than I do, a lot more experience than I do, so I'm just going to kind of sit on the sidelines. Look, that is not a sign of humility at all. That is actually a diminishing of the work the Lord has for me to do. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being humble about myself. I'm actually criticizing Jesus. Uh, Jesus can't use me. Look, Jesus has surpassingly great power. Yeah, he can use you. And Paul says he fully expects to use you if you will step up and do your part. So um, everything that a believer does in love, everything that we do to build the body, everything that we do on mission out in the world, all of that, especially, I would say, the small things that we do, those are important. Um, And so Paul says, I just pray that you'll you'll each do your part, right? Um, So his prayer, essentially, as we conclude tonight, it is that we can grasp God's idea, right? God's idea for the church, not, not some other idea. It is a grace-filled body of redeemed people that is joined together, um, connected together, where Christ rules, where Christ is the head. A place where you, a precious creation of God, redeemed by the cross, where you can flourish and grow and mature by His power that is at work in you. And when we see ourselves as the body of Christ, we get this brand new perspective, true perspective, on the church. It's not a filling station. It's not a a movie theater or a pharmacy or a big box store. Um, Really, one of the flaws, not only are those, those about me, but those all those visions all see the church as a means to an end. But God says, hang, hang on a second. The church has value in and of itself. The church is the body of Christ. Um, and the church is, is so much more than, than all of that other stuff. It has value in and of itself. Um, because when you are part of the church, you are part of the body of Jesus Christ. And that is a pretty big deal. And you have important work to do, or maybe better said, Jesus has important work to do through you. Let's respond to him tonight as we stand together and as we worship.